0: There's Crispy, and then there's Crispy-er. Try our new and improved Tyson Crispy Chicken Strips. Crispy just got crispy-er.
1: Hello, everyone. You're listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm Bill Roden. Uh, we're recording this podcast on a drizzly Friday afternoon. My co-host, Isaiah George, from Morgan State University in Baltimore, is just a few weeks away from graduation. Isaiah, how's it going? How are you feeling about both graduation and the NBA playoffs?
0: Um, I mean, with graduation, I mean it hasn't hit me yet. So, to be honest, it it may hit me the the day of. So, uh, I'm still waiting for that, and I'm I'm excited. But uh, the playoffs, I think for the NBA Finals, we're probably going to have the Warriors in again. I'm sorry, KD is playing out of his mind uh, this playoff. So, I I think we're going to get another Warriors and whoever comes out the East.
1: Deja Harrison from Grambling State University in Grambling, Louisiana, is also on the line with us today. Hey, Deja. Uh, you've got a few years, well, not a few years for you to graduate, but how are you feeling about the playoffs?
2: Yeah, I have a few years until I graduate. Um, the playoffs, uh, I can't wait to see what the Bucks are going to do tonight in Boston. They were slammed in game one, but they found a method that works for them in game two and even limited the GOAT, Kyrie Irving, to just nine points. And defensively, they look better in game two. And I believe if they keep playing like they played in game two, they're going to go all the way against the Warriors. So no doubt, Warriors and Bucks.
1: Alright, well we'll we'll see. When this podcast goes up, we will have known what happened over the weekend. What do you guys think what teams will survive the weekend?
0: Um, I think in the West we're gonna have the Warriors and Trailblazers and to be honest, I think I think that uh that series goes seven games and I think in the east we're gonna be talking about the Bucks and the seventy sixers. I mean that would probably be one of the greatest uh, series in a long time, I think. And when you just think of the competitiveness, when you've seen both of those teams play Giannis and Embiid going uh, at each other and they're at the top of their game right now, I think those are the teams we're going to be talking about.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, the Warriors and the Trailblazers in the West. Uh, The Warriors, of course, they're already up to a good start, to a no start, so no doubt it's going to be them. Um, And the 76ers, and like I said, the Bucks. I mean, the bugs they found the method to the madness, so hopefully they could, they could keep that going cuz I'm rooting for them.
1: But well, don't be surprised if uh Houston finds a way to win, and don't be surprised if we're going to talk about <laughs> uh Boston, uh you know, Boston emerging from the ashes. So you heard it here first. Uh you know, we we've got a lot to discuss today. First up, we're going to talk to uh, Morgan State graduate and 2019 draft pick Uh, NFL draft pick Joshua Miles. Uh, He's going to Phoenix, Arizona to play for the Cardinals. Then in the second half of the show, undefeated cultural writer Justin Tinsley is going to join us to discuss John Singles' life and impact on the culture. right into the draft. The 2019 draft wrapped up a little over a week ago. It was held in Nashville, Tennessee, for the first time in its 84-year history. Nearly 48 million viewers tuned in, making it the most watched draft ever. Tyler Murray, the African-American quarterback from Oklahoma, was the number one pick who went to the Cardinals. Uh, Your president, Donald Trump, uh, reacted by congratulating the number two pick, of pass rusher Nick Bosa from Ohio State, who went to the 49ers. What stood out to me was that out of the 254 players selected this year, four were from HBCUs. Alabama State's offensive tackle, Titus Howard, went to the Houston Texans. Buffalo took North Carolina A&T's defensive end, Darrell Johnson. Quentin Bell, a defensive end from Prairie View A&M, will play for the Oakland Raiders. And last but not least, Joshua Miles from my alma mater and Isaiah George's alma mater, Morgan State University, was chosen by the Arizona Cardinals. And Joshua is on the line with us today. Welcome to the show, Joshua.
3: Thank you so much for having me, man. Really appreciate you guys.
1: Yeah, well, you know, there's so many things we want to ask you. Me, as a former Grizzly and a played football on the team, quite proud of you, keeping up the tradition. Tell me, man, how did you feel, man? I mean, how, how does this whole adventure feel? You're you're headed to uh, Arizona. You're, I guess, this is the first part of a dream come true.
3: Yes, sir. I mean, absolutely. This is like everything I've been praying on since I was seven years old, honestly. And I mean, the the journey has been fun, but. You know, it has been long, but I've enjoyed every every step of it, you know, from training in Indy to, um, you know, going to the East-West Shrine game, back to Indy for the Combine, and then, you know, all the draft visits and pro days and workouts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, It was just amazingly immeasurable when uh, my name was called last Saturday.
2: Where were you on draft day? You know, tell us how it all went down when you heard your name being called.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, it was crazy because um, you know I was actually just at home, you know, with my mom with with a, with a few people. You know, I didn't want to do the big draft party and and you know try to do that whole thing. But um, so the second the phone rang, man, I I would jump every time because. You know I was falling further into the seventh round, so you know I was worried that may, that possibly it wouldn't happen, or you know there were guys calling about free agent deals and whatnot so um you know I just I just kind of kept the faith and, and, and knew that um you know everything that I prayed on was going was gonna um come true, and sure enough you know two two forty eight uh the, the cardinals called me and and um Cliff Kingsbury said, you know we got three picks left and we'll probably, we're probably we going to use this one on, on you. And, he, you know, he passed me to the old line coach, and then I talked to the owner for a little bit. And then sure enough, man, seconds later, my name flashed across the TV, Joshua Miles, you know, drafted. Uh,
0: Josh, I, I do want to ask about, you know, just dialing back a little bit to your college career. I know obviously you had the year where you were off um, before your senior year um, for, for credit reasons. But I know you also had uh, a tragedy in the family with your uncle, and then you tweeted uh, a couple days ago, you know, that you wish your uncle could see this. Can you talk about yeah, how sure. your uncle's death kind of impacted you and how it affected, you know, your your career to get where you are now?
3: Yeah, man. I mean, my my uncle, he was like a he was like a, a father to me, honestly. Um, he he's he's the guy who came and picked me up and took me to church every every Saturday or Sundays. You know we we rode down to my grandmother's house all the time together. Uh, we played basketball together and, you know he was a he was a very intelligent mind. You know so just speaking to him about it. About you know a menu of different things was just awesome, you know getting his insi- his insight and advice on you know things like life and dealing with girls and just being a black man in society in general, you know because he was you know in, uh, he was an older guy you know he he knew a lot and you know he had seen the civil rights movement and you know he had multiple degrees in in um you know theology and and from howard and and University of Maryland and just you know like all, like just a wealth of knowledge. It was it was just so great ta- speaking to him, you know, all the time and um you know, I actually had a cousin who was who was murdered, um, you know, the, during that during training camp for that twenty seventeen year when I was ineligible. And um, you know, we were at the repass and I had to tell him that I wasn't gonna be able to play this year, you know, and I just saw the disappointment wash over his face and um you know, that was just that was just something that I will really never forget, you know, and that, that almost haunts me every day. But um, you know, I I did see him you know, uh, Christmas right before that, February when he passed, and uh, we kind of had a really, a really close bonding moment. And then, um, you know, in February, you know, my heart was broken when, when, when he, when he passed. And you know that after that, I just was completely motivated in a, in a different direction. You know, I went in the very next day after we buried my uncle, and I broke the power cream record. You know, just with him on my mind, and, um, and, you know, I remember, I remember the words of my cousin, <clears throat> his, his, ex, his son-in-law at the funeral, and he said that, um, you know, he had stage five stomach cancer, but still climbed into the pulpit every, uh, every Sunday to to deliver a sermon. My uncle is, is actually, he was actually a reverend, a pastor, you know. So, um, just, just hearing that and, and just being and just the fact that a man with, with the tremendous will, you know, inspired by God, obviously, but terminal stomach cancer, you know, could, could just, could, you know, use the only energy, the only, you know, will he had to, um, to, you know, deliver God's message and, and, you know, just, and glorify God with, with, you know, what he had with his talents. You know, I, I thought, who am I to, you know, complain about, you know, anything and, and, you know, I have to use my talents, whatever they may be to glorify God, you know? So, um, you know that, that that's that, you know, and I, I always take, I always take his um, influence w- with me wherever I go. Man, I, I swear, I think about him every day.
1: So uh, that was a great story, Joshua. How did you come to get to Morgan? Uh, did your uncle have anything to do with that? And so, sort of, what do you think of the Mor- your Morgan experience?
3: Yeah, um, it's actually funny you asked that, man. Um I was a little under recruited coming out of high school and I uh you know, applied for different scholarships and you know, I tried to um try, you know, talk to a, a whole bunch of different coaches. I had offers from division three schools and division twos and whatnot, but you know, I really wanted to play D one ball and you know, Morgan and A and T offered me but I really felt the closeness and the camaraderie of guys at Morgan State, so that was really the main reason that i chose to go there but you know i remember on my recruiting visit um i wasn't completely sure yet so you know i, I me and my mom were sitting in the hotel room and, and i called my uncle and you know he said i always loved the tradition of morgan state i always thought that would be a great fit for you you know there's some awesome people that have come out of morgan and um you know he was right about all that you know and uh the the alumni tradition is absolutely amazing. You know, we've all been to, uh, you know, Morgan State homecomings when we were younger, and you know, seen the Morgan State alumni license plates all over the, uh, you know, all over Baltimore and Baltimore City, and and um, you know, heard about their legendary band and choir. So, you know, it was it was just a natural fit for me, man. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Baltimore born and bred guy, so oh, uh, it was nice to, to uh, stay in Baltimore for college. And.
0: Joshua, when you look at you know Morgan State as a program, I mean the last time that they've had a player drafted to the NFL was Vasante Schenko in in 2003, and now you've you know you're going to be that guy now that they talk about. Is that a lot of pressure and you know to kind of have that that title with you? And how do you think the uh, program can get guys into the NFL at a regular rate?
3: Um. It's not it's not a whole lot of pressure on me. Um, you know, just just show up every day and, and give hundred and ten percent effort, you know. This not you know, similar to what I was doing at Morgan, but you know, the fact that there are all pro guys and, and, you know, super veterans in the league who've been there for, you know, five, six, seven, ten plus years, you know, I need to I need definitely need to up my focus, you know. So I'm I'm not really worried about that. Um and then, you know, getting guys in the NFL at a regular rate um, really, what the coaches have been, you know, stressing the most has been, you know, getting guys to graduate at a regular rate. And, and, uh, I really think it's awesome because the AD has put a lot of emphasis on that and the coaches have put a lot of emphasis on that. And, you know, we're coming off a year where we've had, where we have the, you know, the best, uh, team GPA of all time. And, you know, the best, and the most, uh, you know, guys classing- passing classes ever. You know, the APR score has risen so, so dramatically since, you know, Dr. Scott's gotten there, but, um, you know, to to address guys going to the league more frequently, I mean, there's been a lot of HBCU guys who've kind of kicked the door down to professional sports, you know, for me and and for a lot of, you know, guys that are going to come after me, you know, Tariq Cohen, Brandon Parker, Ryan Smith, uh, Javon Hargrave, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And now, you know, because I'm coming from Morgan, that's going to shine some light on Morgan, um, some more. So, you know, I, like when I was at the, uh, uh, Atlanta Falcons visit when I was at the uh, uh, Arizona Cardinals visit um, prior to the draft a bunch of teams asked me is that pass rusher Malachi Washington as good as God say he is and is that uh, Alt-Meak uh, um, middle linebacker Ian Mack is he as good as God say he is and I said man they're better you know you guys got to watch their tape come out to a game interview them these are, these are great guys these are you know great players so I really think that in the future there's going to be a lot more guys that, that are going to get a shot because I mean we've got a, a stacked underclass, man. I mean, I, I could really see guys getting a, a really good look, you know, as their career progresses.
2: Uh, you set out in 2017. You know, just talk about that transition, like sitting out in 2017, and then now getting drafted. You know, that that's that's kind of hard.
3: Yeah, um, you know, it was, it was probably like the roughest year of my life. Really, you know, just because just because of the fact that I couldn't play and then Morgan was losing, you know I had probably one of the worst seasons you know in the last thirty or so years um you know they went one in ten, you know the the one win was against Savannah State on homecoming, you know and the, it was disputable, you know, so i was uh, that that definitely hurt you know and then but I mean I still practice with the team, I still played with the team, I kept the focus, and more importantly, I kept the faith the entire time you know I, I did a lot of praying that uh, over that over that year and i, I read my bible more than ever I, I really tried to cultivate a more adult relationship with god and you know i'm really in the in the process of doing that now and you know i'm getting i'm getting closer and closer and getting better and better with that so um i was definitely at my at the at the nadir of my career man and and the change and the the growth that's come after that has has you know shot me to my apex you know i've i've um I had the best season I've, I've ever had, all MIAC honors, um, you know, selected to the East-West Shrine game, went to the Combine, you know, I've been drafted. So, I mean, this has been, you know, a very fast takeoff, you know, from the worst moment of my life, which was, you know, last year.
1: Hey, Joshua, what, um, for, for a young person who's considering college and, uh, you know, play football, what's your sales pitch to get somebody to come to <laughs> A Morgan or an HBCU, you know, because there's so much, there's so much chatter about not doing that. What's your, what would be your sales pitch?
3: My my sales pitch, man, would be there's nothing like the HBCU experience. I mean, like that's the cliche, and a lot of people say that, but it's it's so true. You know, the the way that that you know, just random faculty and staff and professors are gonna, you know, love you up and and really try to help you is. is incredible you know i mean of course there are a few professors here and there that um just kind of want to do their job and leave but i really felt like a lot of my professors really genuinely cared about me and and really uh connected with me on a personal level you know the coaches and 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 everything at this school uh you know i've I've created lifelong relationships with them you know there are a bunch of guys that you know, I'm, I'm probably going to be cool with forever, and and um, you know, my AD and 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 my head coach and my head coaches, you know, they they've all been amazing people. The AD, especially now, he's he's probably the best AD we've ever had. You know, he's he's a great guy. He he, he gets it. He understands what it's like to be young. He understands what it's like to be a to be an athlete in in, in our position, and then. Uh, the, specific pitch for Morgan State is the administration, the athletic administration especially has never been as good as it is now. And it's and it's only getting better. You know, they're they're making improvements every day. They're getting more and more funding. You know, they've made dramatic facelifts to the entire um you know, academic sector of the athletic department. You know, they they added the um there's like some academic or athletic computer room and and you know they have like 20 or so computers in there and you know on-call academic staff that'll come in and tutor guys in like private tutoring rooms and there's an entire uh, computer lab for the football team and you know they've they've added uh different machines to the weight room and upgraded the 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 staff in the in the weight room and whatnot so it really seems like guys really want to work for the players and work for the uh for athletics and the shows i mean the tennis team they just won a championship and morgan state we just had you know a winning season this year for, for football and they just got a new head coach so uh, athletics is about to take off and rock it in the next few years so hopefully if there are any potential prospects out there you know they hopefully they heat they take heed
0: uh joshua i want to take this conversation back to the nfl for a second I was at your pro day, which you, you performed uh, very well at, and I got to see about, I think, 12 NFL uh, teams there, but the Cardinals weren't one of them. I know you did go on a, a visit to Arizona, but was there any telltale sign like, you know, hey, I, I, there's a really good chance I'm going to the Cardinals, or, or it was it was really up in the air?
3: Um, It was kind of up in the air, but I don't know. I kind of felt something when I was in Arizona. You know, I really felt like uh, – the staff uh, really liked me. I really felt like the O line coach, and I got along really well. It was just something that, about Arizona that told me, and you know, I'll be back. There was that. You know, I kept in, in contact with their, um, with their O-line coach and with their uh, offensive coordinators. And then, especially in the draft, you know, I hadn't been picked up yet, and, you know, a handful of other guys had. And uh, when I saw Arizona had three picks left, you know, I was like, where's my Cardinals hat?
0: Um, and also, with you heading to Arizona, obviously they had the number one pick in, in Kyler Murray. What is it going to be like, or what do you think it's going to be like, being able to play with him and, and protecting him? And also, when you were at the combine, did you have any conversations with them, or, or able to talk to him at all before you were drafted?
3: Well, first off, I mean, Kyler Murray's tape speaks for itself. He's an explosive, exciting player. You know, it's it's, it's crazy. You know that I'm going to get to play with a talent like that. You know, it's it's, it's a blessing that we're. Gonna, I'm coming into a new system with a new head coach and you know a, a brand new uh, first overall pick quarterback. You know, so he's he's a phenomenal athlete. I mean, I, that's that's obvious by the fact that he was drafted in the first round for the NFL and the MLB, and you know. To speak to the combine thing, I mean, I did see him a little bit. Um, you know, he was stuck in conversation every time I, I walked past him. You know, but I did talk to a handful of other, you know, uh, high-class guys or high-priority guys, and, or high priority guys and uh, you know, that was cool. I really made a lot of good friends, you know, with guys who went in earlier rounds and whatnot. So, I mean, that was cool. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely valuable to make those kinds of relationships.
0: But, you know, I'm sure I'll, I'll see him around, uh, you know, around the facility. And also in this draft class, you were roomed with a guy, if I'm not mistaken, at the Combine. And I know Hakeem Butler, he's from originally from Baltimore. Did you um, have any type of connection with him or, or uh, any of the other guys in the draft class?
3: Yeah, it's actually funny. Um, you know, a handful
0: of guys that I trained
3: with in Indiana actually were at the, the Combine. And um, and the guy that I roomed with, with at the East-West Shrine game was actually drafted to the Cardinals. So, I mean, that's, that's really crazy, you know, To uh, that things just come full circle like that. And um, it's it's crazy because uh, Hakeem Butler is actually my cousin on my dad's side. So I have a cousin and an ex-roommate all on the same team.
0: Wow. So, wait, you knew Hakeem Butler before the uh, draft class. You had met him before, and you guys had a relationship as cousins.
3: Um, I didn't exactly know him. It was one of those things like, you know, my dad's side of the family is huge. You know, so um, his dad is actually – uh cousins with my dad so um you know my dad's like oh I'm, a, I'm gonna introduce you to your cousin i'm gonna introduce you to your cousin you know he plays football at iowa and i'm at iowa state and i'm like all right man bring him on you know and and uh you know i missed the family reunion one year he missed it and then uh next thing
0: you know we're on this we're on the same team in the pros that's crazy so, um, but i mean yeah. even with that baltimore connection I, I understand you grew up uh rooting for the ravens right <laughs> yeah definitely and I know that was one of the teams you took a visit for, and you guys are actually going to play the Ravens early on in the season. What is it going to be like going up against a team that you grew up rooting for and now that you have to try to beat? Um, honestly, man, it, it doesn't matter who lines up against
3: me because only, there's only one way down. You know, I got I to line up and get, the, get a job done. I mean, it, it's cool and it's kind of surreal that I'll probably come back to M&T Bank Stadium and play there. And, you know, it would have, it would have been uh, interesting, you know, for sure, if the, if the Ravens had drafted me, you know, just just the fact that, you know, I grew up in Baltimore and went to school for college in Baltimore, and then, you know, what if the Ravens had drafted me? But, you know, there are no what ifs. They missed out on their chance, and now I've got to make them pay.
2: Yeah, um, Joshua, part of being an athlete, um, your coaches, your high school coaches, you know, they're going to tell you things that you don't like, you know, as a part of building you up. Um, actually, in one of your in- Instagram posts um, a while ago, you wrote or you captioned, um, Josh, you're not Division One material, you're not athletic enough. Like, did you take these things that your coach said personally, or do you think they meant any of that?
3: You know, it, it, it just seems like, um, you know, some of those coaches that I, I quoted there were kind of bitter and antagonizing. Um, you know, but at, at the same time, you know, I get it if they, if they were just trying to motivate You know, I I really, uh, I really probably could have used a a little kick in the pants when I was a little younger, you know, especially, uh, you know, coming out of, um, you know, high school and, and, um, you know, 11th grade, you know, right around the time that those things were said. Um, you know, I probably Mm -hmm. could have used a little extra motivation and whatnot, but, uh, you know, you know, it is what it is. You know, I've, I've come a long way since then and, um, you know, I've, I've definitely humbled myself in a lot of different ways. So, um, for those coaches, by
1: hey, hey, Joshua. Last question for me. You know, the, the thing about going to quote-unquote small schools, HBCUs, is you know people are always talking about the big programs and all that. What was it like when you went to the? Uh, I think the East-West game, the Shrine game, and you had a chance to, you know, kind of see other people play your position, compare yourself. What was that like?
3: Yeah, um, it, I mean, it was interesting, you know, because uh, just hearing those guys tell stories and stuff about all the bells and whistles their schools had and, you know, all the checks that they were able to get, you know, the cost of attendance and rent, rent checks, et cetera, et cetera. There were guys who had, uh, you know, special player edition uh, Air Jordan cleats and, you know, uh, spackled helmets and, you know, brand-new face masks and visors and whatnot. Uh, I mean, it was it was crazy just, just you know, hearing the, the overall endowment of their schools and stuff. But, um, you know, when, I, when it came to, you know, lining up and playing football, like, our talents were, were just the same, you know. Uh, there were guys that, that were better than me and I was better than, than some guys, but our talent level was right around the same, you know. And I really, really tried to um, be coachable and, and stand out from those other guys. And it, it, was, it was just awesome that, uh, that, you know, I got to play around them.
0: Uh, Josh, I, it looks like we're going to have to wrap this up soon, so I want to wrap this up on a, a lighter note. So from what I've seen, you've seen Avengers Endgame, correct? Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, twice. Oh, wow, twice. That's that's, six yeah. hours. That's, a lot. that's a lot of sitting down and watching a movie. <laughs> yeah, that's been but, about six hours of Avengers. Might be the third time. I don't know. So you've seen every movie from Phase 1 to Phase 3?
3: Oh, yeah, Definitely.
0: All right, so what would you, because we don't want to spoil it. Obviously, when this comes out, you know, people should have seen it. That's enough time. But we're going to give people just a little bit more time. But we want to ask you, from phase one of the Marvel Cinematic Universe all the way down to phase three, what is your top five MCU movies?
3: Ooh, ooh, man, that is a
0: good question.
3: (laughs) Top five MCU movies. I gotta get Infinity War in there somewhere. Obviously, I gotta get Infinity War in there. Um, great movie, great movie. Infinity War. That's. I mean, we're not. I'm and not you're starting at
0: five range.
3: or one? Um, two, all right. Number. No, da, hmm. All right. All right. I'll, I'll start it over. I'll start it over. Okay. So Guardians of the Galaxy is definitely number five. Number four, uh Civil War. Number three, Thor Ragnarok. Number two, Black Panther, and then number go. one. Infinity War.
0: That is hmm. interesting because out of the movie that's breaking records right now, Endgame was not on your list.
3: Endgame was not on my list. I mean, it was what a great I mean, movie. I saw it
2: twice.
3: <laughs> I saw it twice, I did. I loved every second of it. It was a, it was a great great movie.
1: Why, why didn't you like uh the Endgame?
3: It it was it was a really good movie. I mean, don't 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 um confuse me you know, not putting in my top five for dissing it, because, you know, it was still a really good movie. Uh, it was just, it was a lot of dialogue, you know, and whereas Infinity War was a lot of action. There was a lot of fight scenes. There was a lot of, you know, uh, game-changing uh, moves and stuff. You know, Thor uh, gets, creates this stormbreaker, and there's a battle in Wakanda, and then, you know, uh, there's there's just uh, the Hulk and, and um and, and Iron Man uh and and, and everybody fight Thor, um, Thanos' um uh kids in the beginning of the movie and you know, there's just all this conflict going on throughout the entire movie in Infinity War. So I mean that was a little bit easier to follow just because there's a lot more like stimulating action. However Endgame had really good dialogue, really good Easter eggs and and setting things up for the end of the movie because the end of the movie was like the ultimate build, you know, like the, it came to a head in like the most perfect way. Mm. So I got to give it, I, I got to give it to Endgame on that one. But I mean, I, I can't, I can't give it, I can't put it over top of Infinity War. Mm. Wow. So Endgame, is mention, mm-hmm.
1: Endgame
0: is an honorable mention, man. Endgame is an honorable mention, and so is Doctor Strange. And you know what's funny? I know we're gonna end after this. I think Doctor Strange. That was one of the movies where I just wasn't sure I'd be that interested in. I mean, but after watching it, I mean, he fits well in the in the MCU. Like, in a lot of these characters, like even, you know, Ant-Man, and and the second one, Ant-Man and the Wasp, sometimes characters that, you know, aren't the top tier or the ones that get talked about, the ones that kids dress up, up um, as as on Halloween, they don't seem mm-hmm. like they're going to have the greatest screen time. But I think Doctor Strange was probably one of the... Uh, best movies that didn't have a lot of hype going into it.
3: That's definitely true. That is definitely mm. true. And then Doctor Strange and Ant-Man turned out to be like two of the most important characters, uh, for the, for the end game. Like they were most, uh, quintessential in, in defeating Thanos at the end, so. Uh,
1: don't tell us anymore!
3: Think. Ooh,
1: ooh, ooh! <laughs> <laughs> I was about to go to theater, uh, last night, and I said, Roden, do you have three hours? I was about to, so I ended up, Getting popcorn and leaving, but I think I'll go back. <laughs> uh, after hearing uh, oh, you talk, I, I, I think I'll still go and see it.
3: It's definitely worth it.
1: Yeah. Hey, hey Joshua, listen, man, once again, congratulations. <laughs> oh, just really tremendous stuff, man. And, uh, you know, you're really a high character person. You got a, a great story. You know, they're going to love you out in Arizona. Uh, Kyler Murray's probably going to love you even more. But, uh, you know, congratulations. <laughs> all, all the best, man. I really wish you all the best. Great, great, Thank great stuff. So great job.
3: Thank you so much, my man. I appreciate you guys having me on.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about the life and legacy of filmmaker John Singleton.
4: Take a good look in the mirror and ask yourself, do you have what it takes to be number one? Now is it in you to push yourself to the limit and win it? Then defend it to no end, and the others call me contenders. Some of them coming for vengeance, some of them coming for business. All you wanted the ones were one of the ones who pretended. If you win it, you win it. Maybe from bitter beginnings, but you beating the beast to your feet. Like dinner, you chickens never gonna win it, go win it If
0: you couldn't do this, then you probably need to do hobby, and you shouldn't do this. I little challenging, this ever so challenging is filled with gains. See my pains, I got a callus for risk Maybe your talents are missing. Maybe they had you convinced that that's it to take when are making a champion. It's a lot more than a score. Just pushing forward and goals. Dedication, preparation, no hesitation. Be sure that you'll be great and be pure, whether today or tomorrow. So the destiny that you are making is destined to score.
1: Last week, uh, writer and director John Singleton died of stroke. stroke. Uh, most recently, Singleton is known for producing episodes of TV shows like Snowfall and Billions. But the first time he gained notable attention from Hollywood was in 1992 when he wrote and directed Boys in the Hood, a coming-of-age story about young black men in South Los Angeles who were trying to avoid gangs and drugs. That film helped propel the careers of Cuba Gooding Jr., Morris Chestnut, and Regina King. Singleton was eventually nominated for an Academy Award for Best Director at the age of 24. He was the youngest person and the first black man to be nominated for the award. Though he didn't win the Oscar, 10 years later, the Library of Congress called Boys in the Hood culturally and historically significant. Sport and cultural writer for The Undefeated, Justin Tinsley, is on the line to discuss Singleton's legacy. Uh, Justin is a Hampton graduate who's worked with UpRocks Media, Karen Civil, and Rolling Stone. And most recently, he's published stories about Nipsey Hussle, Marvin Gaye, and Jay-Z. Uh, hey, hey, Justin, welcome back to the show.
4: Thank you for having me back. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's a lot to uh, to discuss. And, and, by the way, the work you did on uh, Nipsey Hussle was, was outstanding, as was the stuff on Marvin Gaye and Jay-Z. You've uh, just Thanks. been producing... Tremendous, tremendous work,
4: man. I I can't begin to thank you enough for that. I truly appreciate that, especially coming from you, my man. Especially coming from you.
1: Yeah. Uh, so let's let's jump into this. Um, first, your reaction to to hearing of of, uh, of uh, Singleton's uh, uh, passing.
4: You know, the first thing that that popped in my mind was like, wow, like this guy was a seminal part of my you know maturation process growing up in the '90s and. And then the second thing that popped in my mind was like, wow, the culture took another huge, huge hit. Cause he died less than, less than a month after Nipsey hustle. And then I thought about just that area of Los Angeles again, like they were hit, you know, remarkably hard and twice in less than a month with Nipsey passing away, passing away at the end of, at the end of March and obviously John Singleton at the end of April. So it was just, it, it was, it was a lot to unpack. And, uh, just for me, I, it was very, very numbing to, to know that you know, two dynamic forces from two different generations, but they also supported one another uh, were gone in very different, but very tragic scenarios. And just as it relates to Singleton, you know, I remember watching, you know, boys in the hood. I remember watching poetic justice. I remember watching higher learning and those movies all came out within like a four year span. And, you know, he was so remarkable at, you know, placing vulnerable, strong, Independent and flawed, like black life on the screen, and that's just what I remember growing up. His storytelling abilities were like really, really second. He and Spike Lee, growing up, like their storytelling abilities were really, really
1: second to none. Hmm. What what, what was your first? uh, What was the first thing of the movie you you, you saw?
4: Uh, The first, the first one I saw was definitely Boys in the Hood. I was at my cousin's house in Maryland. Uh, we, we watched it on VHS and uh, I had to like beg my mom to let me watch it. She was like, I'm not letting you watch no rated R movie. And, uh, she eventually let me and I just remember watching it and being blown away. I'm only like eight or nine at the time watching it, but I, I, I just see like how powerful the visuals are. And, you know, you see the, 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 the dynamics and how they, how they, how their neighborhoods differed so much from mine, like growing up in Virginia. You know, the only thing I really knew about LA were the movies and the music and what you saw in the magazine. And I just remember just being blown away just by the, the depth of the acting, the depth of the emotions and just, just the, you know, the, the environment that these characters grew up in. So Boys in the Hood was definitely the first one. Uh, then it was, uh, Poetic Justice because I remember that my mom, that's one of my mom's favorite movies. So my mom and I used to watch Poetic Justice all the time. <clears throat>
0: Hey, Justin, this is Isaiah George, uh, fellow at Morgan State. Um, I wanted to ask, like, with today's directors like, you know, Jordan Peele, uh, Ryan Coogler, um, and other black directors, they're all focused on, you know, producing stories with black lead characters and stories common in the black community. Um, would this have happened without John Singleton or guys like Spike Lee and, and guys that have come before them, you know, would have still had the same impact?
4: Uh, I mean, I don't know if their impact would be felt as much without you know the generation that they came before them. You know, I look at somebody like myself what I like to do. I look at I look at somebody like Bill. I'm talking to him on the podcast right now. I wouldn't be able to have the luxury and you know the the range to do what I do had had it not been for people like Bill who came before me and like opened up doors. So when you look at people like that, I'm sure if you I'm sure if you talk to like Ava DuVernay, I'm sure if you talk to Jordan Peele, uh Ryan Coogler, they will all like praise John Singleton for what he meant, not only just for the art that he like produced, but really for the doors that he kicked open and opportunities that he made available to tell the stories, uh, to tell our stories on the these stages. So I can't say that they wouldn't be here had it not been for him, but, you know, thank God we don't have to live in a universe where that isn't the case. You know what I mean?
1: Right, right, right. Uh, how do you think the content? of black movies has evolved since, since
4: uh, John came on the scene? I I think just with him, he, he was able to show the range, you know, you you just, you just spoke about it. Like this guy produced boys in the hood, but he also produced the episode of billion, you know, like he, he did one of my favorite movies by him is Rosewood. Uh, I I believe just with people like John Singleton, with people like Spike Lee and, and many, many others, there, there's this, thirst and this desire, especially with, with people who look like us, to want to tell these stories. And you don't have to be afraid to be like, oh man, well maybe, you know, America isn't ready for me to tell this story because it doesn't matter if America's ready or not. I don't know if America was ready for Boys in the Hood, but you know what happened? Boys in the Hood was one of those those cultural firestorms. It was Boys in the Hood, it was the Latasha Harlins murder, it was uh, the, Rodney, the Rodney King situation and then a year later came, came the L.A. riots. So like if anything like we're the forecasters of where society is headed, and i think you know singleton his fearlessness and his bravery just to really put those type of issues on the screen and not really care who bucked back because if you're telling the truth the truth is going to always win out and i think that's what you see in a lot of black filmmakers today
0: mm-hmm. hey justin with I know you said you grew up, you know, watching a lot of his movies in the 90s. I was born in 96, where you know, uh, uh, mm-hmm. his, at least with his start, a lot of his movies had already came out. But um, I grew up, you know, watching uh, Baby Boy, Hustle and Flow, Four Brothers, and things like that. And I, I always thought, you know, the movies or the the roles that he had in those um, that he made in those movies, it, it made it seem like those movies, you know, were kind of real. I could somewhat relate with them. And with Spike Lee's I felt as if, you know, I couldn't. I felt as if a lot of Spike Lee's movies were kind of over the top, whether it be the writing or whatever. He had great cinematography, great shots, and the way he uh, he put the movie together, I just always thought it was over the top. Um, and maybe it's because of the, the generation um, that I was born in, but have you seen that a lot of times that younger people can kind of connect themselves more with John Singleton's films? That That's interesting to hear your perspective
4: on that, and obviously... Like your, your opinion matters just as much as mine does. But, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't noticed that because obviously black Klansman just did what it did, uh, at the, at the Oscars this year. And I know a bunch of people who, who, who love that just, and that spans, you know, all different types of ages or whatnot. So I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't noticed that. I, I know for my generation growing up, you know, do the right thing was just as important as like boys in the hood. Yeah. Because they, they both told, they both told stories of black life, but they told it in in different ways. And I think that's the beauty of art. When you have different people creating the same type of art for the same type of community, but with, with different voices and, and different cinematography, different writing. You know, like uh, it, that was the beauty. That was the beauty about that generation as well. You had Do the Right Thing with with Spike Lee. You had House Party with Reggie Hudley. Then you had Boys in the Hood with uh John Singleton like those are three completely different movies but those are three undeniable classics so i i mean i can't speak to you know what uh you know people younger than myself feel about John Singleton how they feel about Spike Lee i just know for for my generation there was you know there's an appreciation for both because they're they're so different it's kind of like when you look at like artists nowadays like i uh, i'm not comparing either one of these the, either one of these two artists to uh, Spike Lee and John Singleton, but it's kind of like you know I, I can rock with uh, I can rock with Drake's music the same way I can rock with Kendrick's music because they they both do something different for me the same way Spike Lee's movies did something different for me in a way that John Singleton's did so it, it's that I think it's really, I think it's really decided more on a case by case basis but it, it's kind of fascinating that you brought that up and it's something that you know if I don't look into it maybe you should look into it you know what I mean because I think that'd be a fascinating case study.
1: Hmm. And it's the idea that you know, back in the day, there was only like one black movie, you know, whether it's going to *Step and Fetch It* or Amos and *Andy*. And we've always we were always saying, you know, our community, our culture is so diverse, and that's what you're seeing now—that there's the movies and the directors are showing all dimensions of blackness, and I, you know, and, and I think it probably. You know, it's probably going to get even more diverse. But I think that's the beauty. Mm-hmm. Whether you know, talk about, you could have Spike, you could have Ava, you could have uh, Ryan Coogler. You know, we, we just we, we the more the better.
4: Absolutely. I mean, it, look, as we all know, there's nothing wrong with diversity, and there's nothing wrong with the diversity of thought and execution. You know, as long as as long as it's done with the right intention in mind, I, I'm I'm all for it. I'm completely all for it.
0: And Justin you've been like uh like you said you've been able to see you know from the 90s to now uh, a lot of different black movies from black directors how do you think the content of quote unquote black movies has evolved hmm. since Singleton came into the game around the 90s to now
4: That you know that's honestly a very very good question I I think it, I think it's just more I don't want to say more. I think you see, like, an emphasis on, like, diversity of thought and, you know, and it's honestly, too, you see a diversity of actors as well. You look at something like If Bill Street Could Talk, you know, like, that That was the cinematography and that was beautiful. Obviously, the writing was incredible, but the actors they had were were phenomenal. So, like, if you look at a movie like If Bill Street Could Talk, compare that to something like Get Out or compare that to to Black Panther, or compare that to—I I don't know. I'm just going, you know, going off the cuff with you know uh, different movies from different actors. Or you see something from Ava DuVernay uh, producing something like uh, Thirteen, and then you see Selma. Like there, there's so many like entry points into this conversation now, as to where like maybe back in the '90s it wasn't as many. You know, it, you know, you know Spike and Reggie Hudlin and John Singleton had to kick those doors down so we could see a diversity uh, of actors and actresses on screen, a diversity of writing, diversity of production teams. For a long time, you know, Hollywood wasn't really trying to invest in black stories because it was like, oh, it's niche. Like, nobody really wants to hear about that. Now you see that uh, the, the truth is the truth, man. Black culture is American pop culture. And the stories that we have to tell are limitless. And I think that's what you see in the movies now. That's what you see in the writing. That's what you see in the and in the the in, in, you know the men and women on screen. Like you see that diversity. At, and not saying it wasn't there before, but you see like an emphasis on it now. Because one, it's entertaining, and two, at the end of the day, it, it, it's, it's lucrative. And that's what you want at the end of the day when you when you're making a movie. You want to make your money back
0: and then some. And and quite a few of these films are doing just that. Um, I think that's a, a really good point to end on there, Justin. Um, and thank you so much for, you know, coming on the show and, and talking about John's legacy and, you know, how it's impacted you and, and almost everybody else that has seen his movies. But before we let you go, we want to get your thoughts on a couple of the things. Uh, uh, the first thing is the Billboard Music Awards aired, and a lot of folks are talking about two people, Drake and Taylor Swift. Uh, Drake gave yeah. a shout-out to fictional Game of Thrones uh, TV character Arya Stark for, quote, putting in that work uh, in the episode that aired April 28th. If you don't watch Game of Thrones, don't worry about it. But um, the second huge topic of the Billboard Music Awards was folks uh, accusing Taylor Swift of biting Beyonce's Beychella style. Uh, Taylor came out in a fringe unitard accompanied by a drumline. For some, this was a little too close to Beyonce's performance at Coachella in her homecoming documentary on Netflix. Uh, to be fair, though, this isn't the first time Taylor Swift has worked with a band. She incorporated a band in one of her shows in 2009. Uh, but still, social media fans have not been kind to Swift on this issue. Uh, where do you kind of stand on this?
4: Uh, my thing is this. Whether she already had this planned or not, and which I'm guessing she did, because you don't start for just sure like planning did. for the Billboard Music Awards like two weeks out. Right. My thing is this. If you're going to do it, and you know Beyonce just did that. I'm not even mad at Taylor Swift about it to to be quite honest with you. I want to know who was the person in the meeting that was like, "Look, I know this is our idea, but you, you, did you just see that?" Because like, <laughs> you can't have a performance similar to that and then it looks like you know like when you go to Walmart and you know you see Fruit Loops, the great <laughs> You value see the Fruit Loops cereal yeah, and you look at the bottom shelf and you see Fruit O's. Like, Beyonce was Fruit Loops, and this was Fruit O's. And Like, there's really nowhere around it. Like, the band had no swag. They were, like, offbeat and off rhythm. Like, and, and, you know, the way she entered the stage is kind of, like, eerily reminiscent to Beyonce. And this isn't saying Beyonce created marching bands. Nobody exactly. did that. But my thing is, look, marching bands have been around a long, long time. And they've been incorporated in many, many shows. If you ask Beyonce, she's going to tell you, I didn't create marching band. But my right. thing is, if you're going to do something, if you're going to cover something, it at least has to be to the standard of what you're covering. The same way when you look at Whitney Houston covering, I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton, Dolly Parton's version was a huge hit. It was number one on the country charts. It was a huge hit. But when you look at what Whitney Houston did to that song, that's Whitney's song now. And I'm pretty sure Dolly Parton would even tell you that. So, it was the fruit os version of Beyonce's fruit loops that was the best way I can describe it.
0: And I think you hit the yeah. nail on the head with that. I mean, I'm kind of feeling the same way. I I'm, I'm you know, I'm I understand that these shows are put together a couple weeks in advance and I'm almost certain that they didn't go out and like, hey, let's steal Beyonce's show or let you know, let's we want to copy it off of that. I just feel as if like you said, if you know that that has come out, you know, that's been the buzz and you want to march and band in yours, there should have been somebody in her camp to be like, you know what, let's watch Beyonce's show and let's make sure that we have something different from that because we are having a drumline in it and we don't want to be accused, you know, of taking somebody's show. And to be honest, for Taylor Swift, I think she should have jumped in too and like, hey, I'm an artist. I want to be original. I am original. So there's no reason for me to try to take somebody else's show. And- but
1: Isaiah, you're assuming that there is shame, and, and there is no shame. And we're, we're in a period of time, starting at the top, that there is no shame. And beyond that, this kind of theft, cultural appropriation, has been taking place as long as I can remember, whether it's Pat Boone stealing from Chuck Barham. I mean, it's, it's, it's been a shameless uh, theft, but for years, and people you know, don't care because the only thing that cares is, the only thing that matters is, I mean, it's a kind of version of, of sort of white supremacy in that we always kind of have to be superior and not necessarily care whether the, the original product is superior. We don't care. So I think when you talk about all that stuff you say is true, but you're, you're assuming that people in those rooms have shame and there is no shame. I mean, you know.
4: she's already been accused of, of lifting from Beyonce before. So it just, it just wasn't a good look. Like, you know, you gotta, I mean, it's not, it's not going to harm Taylor Swift at the end of the day because the people who listen to her music aren't gonna going to stop listening to her music now. And like, I, and I'm not going to, I don't have any personal ill will towards her, but I'm not about to download Taylor Swift on my title or my Apple music. You know, so it's just, I I don't know, but there, but if you want to. Some see people have. About,
2: yeah. I mean, that, some, and that's some fine. Some people have. Yeah, when the video, when the when the whole thing about Taylor Swift stealing Beyonce's whole band thing, well, she actually broke a record for, like, the most streaming for her video, Me, in 24 hours. So I was one of those people. When, when everything was going down on Twitter, everybody was saying, oh, she stole Beyonce's performance. So we went to the Me video adding on to that record that she broke. So I, I feel like the team knew exactly what they were doing. Taylor knew exactly what she was doing. She saw an opportunity, and she went for it.
1: Exactly. That's what I'm saying. There's no shame. I mean, it's about money. You know, not thinking, yeah. oh, should we do this? And Oh, they'll think that I did this. You know, they don't care about that.
4: I mean, there's, if you go on YouTube there is, for historical precedent, there's a really good interview with uh, Ray Charles, and, and Bob Costas is the one that's uh, actually interviewing her. You, you might have seen it floating around on social media over the past couple of days, but he talks about about Elvis. And Costas was like, do you have respect for Elvis? And Ray Charles laughed it off. And he basically went on a tangent as to why he didn't respect Elvis, because he, you know, a lot of his music was lifted from a lot of the black artists at the time. A lot of his swag was the way he like gyrated his hips and moved, you know, like, you know, uh, Nat King Cole got kicked out of a club in Alabama for doing the same thing that Elvis was doing at the same time. So, like, when you hear the words like cultural appropriation and all that, it, it isn't just like buzzwords. That sound good in like 2019. It's stuff that's been going on for you know way longer than I've been alive. You know, so this stuff has precedence. I I don't know what Taylor's intentions were. I just know what it looked like, and I mean it wasn't a good look. Maybe it was. You you said her streaming numbers went up uh, through the roof, but like if if you're yeah, motivated about money, that's only
2: because people though. That's only because people wanted to see the hype. I mean, I personally I don't listen to Taylor Swift that much. Um, some of her songs, but. I went to the video personally because people were saying this on Twitter that she had um, a marching band in her video. So that's why I clicked I mean, on the video, and I'm pretty sure that's why the numbers went up.
4: Yeah, no, I I, I commend you for going to look it up. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But <laughs> trust me on this, this won't be the last time she does it either. You know what I mean? But like you just said, like she knew what she was doing, and she'll do it again to get her streaming numbers up. And, I mean, look, this is – by my count, like, the third time. What was that video where she did something where it looked eerily like Formation? So that was one time. Then you got the Earth, Wind & Fire, September song, and now you got this. Like, it's worked every time for it. So, like, it, honestly, if you're her, why would you stop?
0: Funny that you brought that up. In the last, before we moved on, um, moved to this, we were talking about John Singleton. you said black culture is American pop culture. And, I mean, yeah. with her trying to, you know, imitate these things, that just proves that even more.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Everybody knows black culture is American pop culture. We decide what's cool. We decide what's innovative. We decide what's worthy of being, you know, covered and blown up however you want to say it. Like we decide what's popular, man. We decide like for, for as popular as Taylor Swift is, like she don't, she don't hold more clout in our our community than than someone like uh, a Kendrick does or Drake does. And like, I've never seen a challenge started off of a Taylor Swift song, but I've seen a challenge started <laughs> off of a Beyonce song, off a Drake song. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't see any anybody in the NBA clamoring to be mentioned in a in Taylor Swift song, but you know what? Being name dropped in the Drake song is a badge of honor.
1: You know, it's the same okay. thing. Just to close out this point, you know, we in black people we have a tendency to do this. Whenever there's like a a, a white guy who can play or even a, a white singer, how many times like, man he plays just like a brother. Or, you know, man, that white girl sings just like a sister. Where if you had told a, a black person, man, you sing just like a white person. Or tell a black guy you play just like a white that's not perceived as a compliment. And before okay, we uh,
2: close out, I would like to mention that for the first time ever, three black women simultaneously hold the crown for Miss America, yeah. Miss USA, and Miss Teen USA. Miss USA uh. is Chelsea Chris. Miss America is Nia Franklin, and Miss Teen USA is Kaylee Garris. Congrats to these ladies.
1: Very good. Yeah. Shout
0: out to them. Yeah. Shout
4: out to
2: yeah.
1: them. Uh, That's crazy. Hey, well, thanks for pointing that out, Deja. Uh, we're going to leave the conversation there. Thanks so much for uh, adjusting once again, man, coming on the show. I know you got a, a packed schedule. So thanks for taking a little time to visit with us.
4: Uh, Thank you all for having me on.
1: If, if people want to follow your work, how can they find you?
4: Uh, you, I, I mainly use uh, Facebook. Not Facebook. I do use Facebook, but I mainly use Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on both. It's just my government name, at Justin Tinsley. J u s t i n t i n s l e y. And of course, you can find me on undefeated.com.
1: <laughs> all right. So we're gonna. Uh, that's that's all the time we have today. If there's anything that you our valued listeners would like us to cover, or if you just want to leave us a comment, tweet us at the undefeated, hashtag Roden Fellows. Uh you could also contact us directly. I'm on Twitter at W C Roden. That's W C R H O D E N.
0: You can find me on Twitter at underscore underscore man of the hour. That's two underscores man of the hour.
2: And I'm also on Twitter at King Deja, that's K-I-N-G-D-E-J-A-A. A
1: Lot of humble, humble handles there. <laughs> thanks for listening to the Roden Fellows podcast special thanks to Foster Tariq and the ESPN digital audio content team I'm Bill Roden and I've been your host uh, get all the HBCU 468 podcast as well as The Right Time with Ramani Jones and Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the listen tab of the ESPN app join us next week for another HBCU podcast and don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everyone.